Welcome to the reading of Dr. Richard Ganz's book, Psychobabble, The Failure of Modern Psychology and the Biblical Alternative, copyright 1993 by Richard Ganz. This book is read and distributed with the author's permission. This MP3 audio file is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books, which offers a large selection of free and discounted classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed resources on the web at swrb.com. We continue our reading on page 29. Chapter 2. The Psychological Views of Man Recently, my youngest daughter bashed her head into a table, leaving an ugly, bleeding gash. I had to decide whether to turn left to the big children's hospital in Ottawa, or right to our smaller local general hospital. The decision involved time, distance, and the anticipated length of wait in the emergency room to see a doctor. I didn't worry about which doctor we saw, because I assumed that any medical doctor would be competent to put in the required stitches. The local hospital staff dealt swiftly and efficiently with Makaya's wound, and we were home within the hour. This kind of decision, although made under stressful conditions, was relatively easy. I had a problem, and I knew where to go for help. Unfortunately for those suffering from problems in their families, with friends, at work, or with a specific personal crisis, the direction isn't as clear-cut. Desperate Dolores has had trouble sleeping lately. She has lost 15 pounds and quite a few friends as well. Her husband is still around, but with all the crying jags and temper flare-ups, even he is getting a bit jagged around the edges and is threatening to take action. Dolores has been to her physician and undergone the battery of prescribed tests. No neurological physiological, biochemical, or metabolic disturbances were discovered. The problem is not organic. Fearful of a suicide attempt, her pastor has told her to seek professional help. Now what? The Yellow Pages list page after page of persons who claim to practice counseling or therapy. If asked, they would all say they want to help people. They all claim to be unbiased in their approach. So how does Dolores choose? Do they all practice the same science? Would they agree on the diagnosis of her problem? Do they accept the same definition of what is normal? Can she expect the same recommendations from all of them? Do they even agree on their definition of humanity? The answer is startling. Clinical psychology comes to no consensus in its view of human beings, with one critical exception. It is unified in its belief that people are free from God. Aside from that exception, there are as many theories regarding human nature as there are counseling practitioners. Each one would deal with Dolores and her problem according to who and what he or she believed Dolores is. Dolores is about to begin therapy roulette. 
The following is a brief overview of the different schools of psychology Dolores might encounter in her counseling room travels. Sigmund Freud Sigmund Freud was one of the founding fathers of contemporary psychiatric thought and therapy. He began as a medical researcher in neurology and almost won the Nobel Prize for his scientific research into pain relief and analgesics. His experiments involved opium, to which he became addicted. Lacking the funding for his research and the interest in general surgical practice, Freud felt compelled to pursue the more profitable and intriguing world of psychiatric counseling. At the foundation of Freud's thought was the belief that people are ruled by their unconscious minds. He believed that human behaviors, responses, and attitudes are governed by primitive urges combined with a vast horde of personal experiences of which they have no knowledge or conscious control. Essentially, Freud saw man as an instinct-ruled beast, dominated primarily by the drives of sex and aggression. Based on this view of man, Freud created psychoanalysis, a technique that involves the patient lying on a couch and free associating, saying whatever comes to mind. The goal of this process is to uncover the patient's unconscious motivations. The analyst does this by interpreting the patient's so-called defenses and transferences so that he can decode and reveal to the patient the origins of his attitudes and behavior. Freud believed that therapy would help patients know the origins of their behaviors, thereby gaining personal awareness and understanding. But in reality, this type of therapy accomplishes much more. It affirms a concept that sinful human beings universally hold dear. They are not responsible for their actions. Someone else is to blame. By placing the responsibility for their behavior on their parents, environment, childhood trauma, the unconscious, or primitive urges, patients are permitted, even encouraged, to assume a victim mentality. They are never confronted with their personal responsibility for their behavior, but must wade through years of analysis at horrendous cost to discover what in their past makes them behave the way they do. Freud's theory of human beings, like all erroneous yet warmly welcomed theories, has made some accurate identifications. People do suffer traumas, sometimes incredibly painful ordeals at very early ages. Pain and pleasure are powerful stimuli and have strong influence on our perceptions and responses to situations. People do sometimes mentally push aside and forget painful events. We are all filled with variables that make us who and what we are. However, none of these factors negate our responsibility before God for our own behavior. We are held responsible before God for our sin and cannot shift the blame onto some hidden event. 
we are also responsible for how we respond to the pain that is an inevitable part of human existence. There are always reasons why we do the things we do, but there are never excuses for sin. Christians do not deny the painful realities of life, but neither do they permit such realities to lead them into situations involving self-destructive behaviors, bitterness, sinful neglect of duties, or any other unbiblical conduct or attitude. From a Christian perspective, a rebellious teen's destructive behavior is rooted in sin. It can be understood in response to, but not pardoned on the basis of, parental negligence. Freud, however, explained a glutton's gluttony by the fact that he was not breastfed as a baby, or a child molester's behavior on an unresolved Oedipus complex. It was in the area of personal accountability to the God of the Bible that Freud parted company with his Jewish heritage. Freud hated the idea of God, and especially the God of the Jews and his son, as Freud saw it, the God of the Gentiles. He viewed religious behavior as, at best, a neurosis. The noted psychoanalyst Eric Fromm, a follower of Freud, wrote in Psychoanalysis and Religion that psychoanalysis is the study of the soul of man. This is ironic because Freud was a metaphysical materialist. He did not believe that man possessed a soul. Even though Freud hated the Judeo-Christian religion, he held a religious worldview. Gerhard Mazur said, Psychoanalysis became one of the substitute religions for the disillusioned middle class. Analysis is accompanied by ceremonies and rituals that resemble a religious rite. Its concepts, at best debatable, are repeated as articles of faith. Freud created the classic psychoanalytical approach, but many others, both Freud's colleagues and those to follow, appropriated part of his theory or therapy and modified it to suit their own interpretation of man and his problems. Perhaps the most influential, and therefore harmful, disciple of Freud's was Carl Gustav Jung. Freud and Jung parted ways over Jung's involvement in the realm of the spirit. Carl Gustav Jung Jung went beyond Freud's theory of the unconscious by combining it with a spiritual dimension, which he called the collective unconscious. According to this theory, all human beings possess in their unconscious a deeply buried collective history of the race. This commonly shared knowledge is the seat of our identity as persons, represented by hundreds of archetypes or symbols of universally significant persons, i.e. mother, father, etc. According to Jung, the collective unconscious is also the dwelling place of God. According to Jung, Jesus represented the primordial image of the Anthropos, the Son of Man, Son of God. 
He accomplished deliverance for the enslaved people of the first century from the divinity of Augustus. It was in this capacity of Redeemer that he became part of the collective psyche of the first century. Young saw this as consistent with the saving capacity that had been evidenced in other Redeemers at other times in history. Young didn't care if Jesus was King of Kings and Lord of Lords. All that mattered was his meaning as an archetype. Jesus became the symbol of sacrifice and deity, not the true Savior. According to Jungians, Jesus functions symbolically as an archetype for Redeemer, meeting the need shared by all people for redemption. Since Jesus exists as an archetype in the collective unconscious, we encounter him via active imagination. This theory of receptive visualization has its ancient roots in tantric yoga, which deeply affected both Buddhism and Hinduism. Students are taught to visualize the image of the deity and to construct this image on their mental screens by active imagination. Agnes Sanford popularized both the visualizing techniques and this teaching of Young's in the church. In The Healing Gifts of the Spirit, Sanford claimed that Jesus entered into the collective unconscious of the human race and is by this means available for healing and help. Her basis for these claims is not the Bible, but Carl Jung. Jung's Jesus is more like a spirit guide than the Lord of history. Jung believed that the goal of therapy is not healing, but coming into contact with one's collective unconscious, a process he called individuation. During individuation, the true self, the strongest archetype in the collective unconscious, is brought into greater consciousness. This process is considered therapeutic because it supposedly leads to wholeness or a realization of personhood. It forms the basis for the contemporary practice of receptive visualization as it is currently being practiced in the church, particularly in healing ministries. B.F. Skinner B.F. Skinner was the creator of the well-known classic behavioral view of humans. Skinner saw the mind as a black box, a series of circuits, a collection of stimulus-response connections. He rejected the idea that a person has meaning or significance. In Beyond Freedom and Dignity, Skinner said, of man qua man, we say good riddance. Like Freud, he denied the existence of the soul, and he also rejected God on a personal level, although he certainly maintained a religious worldview. In his acclaimed utopian novel, Walden II, Skinner's namesake, Frazier, identified himself with Christ. The power he claimed for himself was divine as was evidenced in the following chilling line. If it's in our power to create any of the situations which a person likes 
or to remove any situations he doesn't like, we can control his behavior. Technically, it's called positive reinforcement. Positive reinforcement is not to be confused with the biblical concept of encouragement. Rather, it is the calculated manipulation of external stimuli designed to mold human response patterns. The alteration of human behavior through these methods is called behavior modification. Because it involves attempting to control a person's destiny by controlling his or her behavior, behavior modification is a euphemism for man as God. It disregards the human capacity for love, patience, self-control, mercy, long-suffering, or joy. Inherent in the concept of positive reinforcement is the destruction of the personal dignity of a human being, hence the denial of personal responsibility or need to control one's thoughts, words, or deeds. The goal of behavioral therapists is to have clients manipulate their emotional and physical circumstances in such a way as to avoid pain and promote pleasure. This popular line of thinking is reflected in the humanist battle cry, Look Out for Number One. Carl Rogers If Abraham Maslow is the theoretician of the human potential movement, then Carl Rogers is the practitioner. Rogers grew up in a Christian home and came to New York City to study theology at Union Theological Seminary. Not surprisingly, Rogers became increasingly disillusioned with his theological studies at Union, an institution at the forefront of liberalism in the early 20th century. Certainly Rogers could not have gotten any answers to hard questions concerning his spiritual life. At the same time, just across the street, stood Columbia University with its cutting-edge clinical psychology program. Union Seminary had no answers, but Columbia offered Rogers a confident faith in the incipient humanism of the day. The young Rogers ate humanism up and never looked back to Christianity except in dismay and disgust. However, his psychology retained a religious or spiritual character. As Rogers aged, the spiritual nature of his work became more evident, especially as he faced the death of his wife. He looked for answers, not in psychology and certainly not in Christianity, but in the occult with its mediums, seances, and Ouija boards. He claimed to have communicated with his dead wife, who told him to have a good time in a relationship he had begun with a woman during the final stages of his wife's illness. Instead of guilt and condemnation, Rogers received his dead wife's empathy and unconditional positive regard, UPR, toward his adultery. His growing spiritual interest is recorded in his book, A Way of Being. In contrast to Freud, Rogers saw human beings as good and perfectible. 
he believed they needed only the guidance that was already within themselves, just waiting to be vitalized by using non-directive techniques. Rogers, like Freud, didn't believe in giving advice, only in recognizing feelings. Rogerian counselors are easily recognized by their infuriating tendency to paraphrase every statement made by their clients and then to smile in a non-judgmental way while waiting with UPR for the next statement. They believe that as clients come to resonate with their feelings and as they experience the counselor's empathy and UPR, they will be made whole, healed. In effect, the client uses the counselor as a positive mirror to the inner self, reflecting with approval what the client sees within. Rogers insisted there is nothing that can break into a person to help him resolve the dilemma of his suffering. There is no revelation. Thus, Rogerians deny the existence of standards and absolutes and the propensity of people toward evil. In Rogerian client-centered therapy, a homosexual can come to accept his homosexuality, but he will never receive counseling that declares that homosexuality is sin, the biblical way out. Werner Erhard In the last 20 years, the field of personality theory has seen an explosion. Generally using Rogers and the human potential movement as a springboard to the study of human beings, theorists have broken new paths. One popular catalyst is New Age guru Werner Erhard, founder of EST, Erhard Seminar Training, who taught that something experienced is true, the same thing believed is a lie. In other words, there is nothing beyond that which is experienced. This means, for example, that neither guilt nor love is a reality except as it is experienced. Erhard, along with his New Age counterparts in the media, entertainment industry, and counseling clinics throughout the Western world, seduces millions with ideas such as, You are God in your own universe. There is no God unless it is self. These theorists produce religious pronouncements that sound acceptable even to some Christians. In his Est newsletter, Erhard even has clergy giving their Est testimonies. The New Age movement that has burst upon the West is a blending of Eastern pantheistic monism, Western psychotherapy, and the occult. Many contemporary counseling practitioners are dabbling in these New Age thoughts and therapies, dragging desperate, wounded individuals and families with them, unawares. One cannot look with expectant hopefulness towards secular and even some Christian counseling rooms today. They are as unpredictable as the toss of the dice. The New Age psychiatry is not science. It is sophisticated shamanism. 
desperate Dolores needs help, but her chances of finding it by opening the yellow pages and playing therapy roulette are slim. Unlike Russian roulette, however, this high-stakes game comes with no warning. In fact, it comes with the patina of science and the approval of the American Psychological Association. In the next chapter, we'll look at the science of counseling.